0: We uh, invite our children to be dismissed for Children's Church. Those who are of the age to go, the teachers are eagerly waiting. Their goal is to help you prepare for this service. There are a couple weeks during the year where uh, the children don't go, but they stay with us for the entire service. Last week was one of those weeks, and in a sense, where all that we're doing is training and preparing them to join with us and to be with us for more and more of what we do when we're together. Um, We are working through a book of the Bible, uh, the Acts of the Apostles. And uh, some commentators have said through the years, the Acts of the Apostles probably would be better titled the the Acts of the Risen Lord Jesus by the Power of the Spirit through the Apostles. Um, It's about what God is doing. Uh, We see that uh, particularly uh, in power today is uh, the Apostle Paul and his team of helpers are together on a boat. Um, that goes through perilous waters, and yet God shows his power and his presence in the midst of it. Um, We too are people often on uh, perilous waters, and we see the hope and the promise of God's steadying presence as we face the storms of life. Now, of course, we're not in the exact same position as the Apostle Paul. He was an apostle. God was speaking to him and using him for specific purposes, um, we've known throughout the book of Acts that Paul is going to end up in Rome. God had promised that would happen, but we've noticed the whole way along that the circumstances of how he gets there are not what we would expect. Uh, it's anything but smooth sailing, and it's been that way for several chapters now. It gets, uh, it's a really vivid story of a storm at sea, and everyone narrowly escapes, and yet Luke tells it from the perspective of knowing that God is at work. I'm going to begin by reading uh, chapter 27, verse 1. We'll skip ahead a little bit just to try to shorten what's an otherwise long reading, but the story is a unit and there's really no other way to do it. So we'll read the story together, and hopefully, as we read it, you'll hear the, the throbbing action of this, uh, this uh, great story. Acts chapter 27, verse 1. And then, and when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And we skip a couple verses in which their, their journey is delayed on, on various stages, and they end up sailing later in the year than anyone would really want to sail on the Mediterranean. Verse 9, since much, much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them saying, sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss not only of the cargo and the ship but also of our lives but the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said and because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix a harbor of Crete facing both southwest and northwest and spend the winter there Now, when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along creek close to the shore. But soon, a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Kata, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hosting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then fearing that they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear and thus were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days... And no small tempest lay on us. All hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the Lord to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar and behold, Paul has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. When the 14th night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little further on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. In fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea, "...under the pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, "...unless these men stay in the ship, we cannot be saved." Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, "...today is the fourteenth day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore I urge you to take some food." "...for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you." And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea." Now, when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea at the same time, loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. Then, hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow struck, the remaining, uh, struck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to, sh- to, sh- to jump overboard first and make for land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. This is the word of the Lord. And. 1960, the Pittsburgh Pirates were having a good season. It is the first good season in a while, they'd had a little bit of an upturn to the end of the 50s, but the 50s were bad for baseball at times. The Pittsburgh Pirates finished 50 games under 500. The uh, voice of the Pirates at that time was Bob Prince. He was as famous as anyone could be in Pittsburgh. Baseball was the national pastime, and it was said that if you lived in Pittsburgh and walked one of the streets in a neighborhood, you could listen to the entire Pirates game as you walked along, because every house would be playing, and Bob Prince's voice would be coming out into the street. During that season, the Pirates were a scrappy team. They had young emerging stars, and they often won close games. People spoke of them as the battling bucks. And at the end of a close win, Bob Prince was famous for giving his end-of-game call with great exuberance. He would say, we had them all the way. He was replaced later by Lanny Frateri, who gave his famous end-game call that I knew growing up. He would say, after a win, perhaps a close win, there was no doubt about it. The sayings I believe had a certain irony to them. There was nearly always a doubt about it when the Pirates won a game. And to say in 1960 or even in later years that we had them all away was certainly a sort of over exuberance. I, I think said, I believe, with a sort of a wink and a nod that, you know, we were rooting for our team, but we were always hanging on by our fingernails. As I read this passage today, those voices echoed in my head. It was, after all, by their fingernails that they made it through. On one perspective, as we look at it, Luke's been telling us all along that God is actually in control. There's a divine providence at work. He has promised something specific. Paul will make it to Rome. This was given to Paul uh, by a vision, uh, we think an angelic vision, where Jesus communicated to him the promise that he would one day stand in Rome. This happened at the very beginning of this part of the book in uh, Acts chapter. I'll need to look at the uh, the reference here. It's twenty one or, or twenty two. In Acts chapter twenty three, Paul has been arrested. He's in prison, and it's the text says the Lord stood by him that night and assured him and said, "You will make it to Rome." This promise is reaffirmed in our text again today, in verses twenty two and twenty four. Paul stands up and says to the people. God has promised to me I'm going to make it to Rome and he's reaffirmed that promise and he has guaranteed that you will be with me and you'll survive even if we lose the ship and we are going to do that. And so there is a sense as we read the passage that there's a sort of divine perspective that we know as the reader God's at work and there will be a, a victory in the end, there will be salvation literally for the people on the boat. And yet from a human perspective, for those who were along for the ride, it must have seemed anything but certain. I mean, there were some really narrow misses. And it says specifically at one point, they gave up all hope. They were throwing everything overboard. Even the sailors are praying desperately. And later the sailors try to escape from the ship. They're going to go off perhaps on a rowboat and make it on their own. When this is happening, you know things are going badly when the sailors are trying to go overboard. And yet as Luke concludes this section, he concludes the story with this, this verse that just sort of struck me. As Maybe, maybe I'm reading too much into it. I, I heard that sort of playful, playful perspective in which he says, And so it was that all were brought safely to land. I can hear perhaps Luke saying as he sits on the beach with the wreckage of the boat and the bedraggled crew around him saying, you know, God had us all the way. And they must have said, well, I'm glad you knew that. Seemed anything but certain to me. And, And perhaps they were wondering as they arrived there, listen, if your God had us all the way, if there really was no doubt about this one, then certainly he could have devised a better plan. Right? We've been, I've been reflecting on that throughout the series. We know God told Paul, you will arrive in Rome. In a sense, that's the culmination of the book of Acts, where Jesus told them in the beginning, you're going to go to the ends of the earth. So Paul is going to arrive at the heart of the greatest empire. And we end the book with Paul speaking freely, giving witness as a faithful apostle. He's in a sense arrived. But the journey is anything but a straight line. It's anything but smooth sailing. And maybe even Paul at some point along the way. Maybe even Paul sitting on the beach, and he's he's been a, a rock in this story. Did you did you hear that? I mean, Paul was encouraging everyone with great confidence. But maybe even Paul sitting on the beach after the boat wreck said, "You know, Lord, there there must have been an easier way. Did did the plan have to go through this? And yet it did." The God who had them all the way is caring for them even in the storms. It's that idea I want to hold on to as we think about this passage today. We, too, know what it means to go through storms. Whether in our individual lives, in our families, our church, our city, or larger groups, life is stormy. Jesus told his disciples, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. The lesson I want to hold on today is found echoes in this entire section of Acts, but it's simply the reminder that God doesn't promise to save us from all storms, but He promises to save us in and through the storms. We see this found so many places in the Bible we can speak this with great confidence. We have in our additional additional scriptures a reading from the book of Isaiah. It was our call to worship last week in which God says, I will save you when you walk through the fires and you will not be burned. And the waves will not overcome you. And as we read that, we think, but God's telling me I will go through fires. Perhaps the greatest comforting psalm of all down through the ages is what we call the 23rd psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. But if you listen carefully to those words, it includes both God's gracious care of peace leading us to still waters and laying down in green pastures, but also the promise that when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, He is with us. And the table He prepares for us is in the presence of our enemies. And so it is with Paul. His journey to Rome, his journey of obedience to God, his pathway, his cross, as well as Luke's, his walking faithfully with Him, sailing faithfully with Him, the pathways through the fire and it's through the storm. It's there that God shows His power and His presence. And yet we might find ourselves asking the question, why? Why did God do it this way? What I'd like to do is just review the passage. We'll look at some of the details that we find here. And I think we'll acknowledge the fact that we're not told, so we don't exactly, completely know. God's ways are not our ways. He takes and guides and directs us and brings us to places that uh, that we sometimes don't anticipate and we don't always fully know what he's doing but I do believe there's several things we see in the passage that can be a great comfort to us as we pass through great storms and great great troubles what what can we learn about what God might be doing in the midst of the storms well just a quick review as we as we look at the passage um, again, uh, remind you what we were doing. Paul's on his way to Rome. He's, been, he's sailing, and we cut a little part out of it where he went up along the, the coast of the eastern Mediterranean. When we begin our reading today, they're on the island of Crete, which is right in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. Now, the, the, the more ambitious among you might really want to track down some of these details. I do have a handout for you in the back. You can grab a map and look at it and just sort of trace out some of these movements on the map. But the the long and short of it is they they begin this reading today on the island of Crete. They're on the southern part of the island. They're safe, but the harbor isn't good. Uh, And so uh, they're all debating what to do. Paul says he has an understanding that they they really shouldn't try to go any further. Uh, We don't know if this is an insight God gives, a prophetic insight, Or maybe it's just that Paul, as a seasoned traveler, knows that it's late in the year. He says it's after the fast. The scholars think maybe even mid-October. And it's the time of year people shouldn't be sailing on the Mediterranean. Paul knew this. Even though he's desiring to get to Rome, he advises them not to go, but they decide otherwise. What they're trying to do, it seems, is to go a little bit to the west and a little bit to the north, around the south, sort of southwest of Crete. And when a storm, I'm sorry, when a a smooth wind comes up that's pushing them to the north, everything seems good, they set out and they think they're going to make a dash for it. In the words of the famous TV show, they expect a three-hour tour. They're just going to get to another harbor, a better harbor will winter there on another part of Crete. And as they go, things look good, but then soon after, a tempestuous wind. It's a big, strong wind. It's coming over the land. Instead of from the south, it's coming from the north and from the east, and it's blowing them entirely the wrong direction. The ancient sailing boats didn't have the ability to tack into the wind. And so the, the, the story Luke is telling us, remember these are we sections, parts of Acts. Of he uses the, the, the plural for a second person, he says, we, Luke was there, he saw it, he's burned a, 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 a vivid picture in his memory, and he tells the story with great detail, but he seems to have the idea that they're trying to hold their place next to the land, but the, the, the wind is strong, the waves are strong, they're, they're afraid of sinking, the only thing they can do is turn, put up the sails, and go with the wind. But they're going the wrong direction. And the direction would lead them if it continued up against the coast of Africa. And it could lead them to a, a region they're particularly concerned about hitting called Sirtis. And so they do the best they can to steer out into the heart of the Mediterranean Sea. Into sort of the, the biggest, broadest area. And they run for several days. And eventually it will be two weeks It's a great troublesome time. They throw things overboard. First the cargo, then their extra tackle and equipment, the things you really would like to have in a storm, but they're losing all possible weight. Eventually they'll throw over even the grain. And What scholars think when they reconstruct this historically is that the reason the centurion is in charge of the boat rather than the owner or the captain is that it's on official mission from the empire to bring grain to Rome. Rome had their bread and circus, and they needed their grain to keep everything working well. And so to lose the grain in the end for the centurion is, in a sense, to lose everything. And yet their situation becomes hopeless and desperate. Verse 20, all hope of being saved was at last abandoned. It's gotten really bad. And yet it's at this moment that Paul stands up and speaks and says, take heart. And it does sound a bit like he's saying, I told you so. But he does bring good news. God has granted to me all those who sail with me. And again, some scholars think here that Paul may have been praying for them. The language uh, he has granted might imply an answer to prayer. Paul knew he was going to make it to Rome, but he was there on the boat praying for others. And God has granted that prayer. And so he says, we're going to make it through. Take heart. The God that I worship and that I serve to whom I belong has promised to save you through this storm. And yet even at this moment it's not finalized yet. There are more difficult things to go through. They've managed in going across the Mediterranean to hit a, come to the, the edge of a very small island of Malta. A bit of a coincidence from human perspective. If they had missed this, it would have been hundreds of miles more till they could have hit something else. They're now below Italy, having started out below Greece. They've navigated this uh, storm across the, the main part of the Mediterranean and they come to the edge and yet now fear strikes again. They throw their anchors from the back. The, the storm is pushing them onto a darkened land that they can't see and they wait and pray for morning. The sailors, even the sailors are, are beginning uh, to be quite fearful, and it says they, they made a plan that they were going to pretend to take a, an anchor out to the front of the boat, all right, which wasn't really needed. Uh, Paul sees what they're up to and says, listen, if those guys leave, we don't have any chance. So the centurion, again, using his authority, cuts the boat away. We're all in this together, and they sail their way in striking a piece of land that uh, today uh, is believed to be what's called St. Paul's Island off of St. Paul's Bay in Malta. Again, a picture if you want to pick it up in the back. The boat is breaking apart. Some can swim. Some hold on to the broken pieces of the boat. The waves carry them forward. They make their way on the land. And as Paul says, there was no doubt about it. What do we learn from this? What is God doing in the midst of it? Well, I think there's several things we can see. In the midst of this storm, the many narrow escapes holding on by their fingernails. Uh, 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 in the time where the, the, the storm-tossed sea threatened to take them all down. We see, see things happening in this passage. Again, we don't have Luke's voice telling us insight into what exactly God is doing. But we see things happening, don't we? In the midst of the sea, things that might not have happened had it been a smooth shot from Crete all the way up to Rome. First thing we see is God removing the self-reliance of everyone on board. Secondly, we'll see ways in which God reveals his promises and teaches his people to trust them. And third, we see God feeding these people in the midst of the storm. A reminder that he too feeds us in the midst of our storms. Let me just look at these three, in a sense, three applications of the passage. First of all, God removes our self-reliance in the midst of the storms. I think it's important to recognize in the beginning no one wanted to listen to Paul. On one hand, we're not exactly surprised. He was a prisoner. He was a prisoner, uh, a religious leader of of a somewhat obscure religious group in the Roman Empire. And yet, we know, reading the story with Luke, that Paul is God's ambassador and he, guided by God. He's the person you would want to listen to. In the beginning, they don't want his advice. By the end, the centurion doesn't want to lose him. His perspective on Paul has changed. In between, the centurion, the owner, the captain, the sailors, the crew lose everything. Verse 18 they jettison the cargo overboard. Verse 19, they throw away the tackle. Verse 20, all hope of being saved was at last abandoned. In Verse 38, here at the very edge of an island, but in the, in the darkness of storms breaking upon the beach, they throw even the wheat into the sea. Finally, the boat itself runs aground and breaks up. They lose it all. And yet, in the midst of it, God is revealing himself. He's revealing himself through the storms as the one who saves. When all other means of self-reliance are gone, when all of the means of control are gone, it's God showing himself as the God who knows, who cares, who's active, who is alive and present in the world and is worthy of our worship. Paul makes this point clear. Verse 23, he introduces his prophetic word by saying, the angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. Now we know the sailors would have prayed, they would have believed in gods, and that fateful last night before they crashed onto the beach, it says they were all praying, they, were, they believed in gods, but here Paul is revealing the one true God in the midst of the storms, in the midst of their self-reliance being thrown overboard. And Paul urges them to take heart. He says, the God I have faith in will cause it to be exactly as I have told you. Those sailors waking up on the beach with perhaps the sun shining the next day and the wreckage of their, of their boat on the beach and their wheat floating off in the ocean. They would have known who it was that saved them. They would have seen clearly when all hope had been gone. And there are there ways in which God is stripping away your self-reliance in the storms of your life? When I look at my life, I can see that having happened and happening still. I look at my own moment of conversion, coming to faith, surrendering before the Lord Jesus. And it followed close on the heels of God, stripping away painfully all of my self-reliance. And I find the ongoing process of life is one in which God regularly puts me in places completely beyond my control. In ministry, in family, in life. We find ourselves in relationships with people we don't know how to help and with situations we don't know how to resolve. And if we're not thinking clearly, we may find ourselves trying to misapply God's promises. We're saying, God, you're supposed to be in charge. You're supposed to be present. Why am I in the storm? And here and Acts 27 along with Psalm 23 or Isaiah 43, the many promises of Jesus were reminded that God saves us through the storms, not from them. Let me ask you also to consider today as we think about it whether it's possible that you are in your life avoiding the hard thing God's calling you to do because it seems risky or hard. I don't know with great... I don't have wisdom to know what you would do in every situation. But let me ask you to consider your own life. Is there perhaps something hard that God's calling you into? A place where He may remove your self-reliance but reveal Himself to you powerfully as you trust Him walking through the storms, faithful unto what He calls you. The second thing we see as we look at the passage is that God teaches people to trust his promises through storms. God had made many specific promises to Paul. They are not the same promises he makes to us. God's not giving me any promise that I'll make it to Rome, or to any particular place for that matter. There's something unique about the passage. Paul is, after all, an apostle. God is speaking to him directly, giving specific promises. But God does make different promises to us. He makes more general promises Jesus promised to his disciples that he would never leave or forsake them. He promised that in all the storms of life, he's present by the power of the Holy Spirit. On the night that he was betrayed, as he spoke to his disciples in the upper room over the last supper they had together, he promised to them that if he was going away, and he was, he would prepare a place for them. Jesus has promised to be with you in the storms of life. And he's promised to carry you not only through the storms of life, but through the storms of death. I think our modern church sometimes uh, can easily forget how important this is for Christians to consider. The the Christian life is not only the story of God leading us through hard times here and now, but it is built on the promise that though death looms ahead for all of us, that great dark storm, the uh, invisible unknown from a human perspective that we all will sail through unless the Lord intervenes in history before our death, that great storm lies ahead for all of us. Down through the ages, the Christian church has always had this sense very vividly before them. I think it's easier for us to forget. We tend to be age-segregated. We lose sight of older people, and on the whole, our society does a pretty good job of shielding us from death. Throughout the history of the church, many Christians read this passage, and they thought first and foremost about life as a storm and death is a great and final darkness. Uh, This was vivid for me over the last week and perhaps the reason I'm reminded is that my last week was spent walking through the storm of life with my mother and her sister as her sister took a turn for the worse, entered hospice and died last Saturday. I spent more time than normal thinking about death, sitting at the bedside of an aunt that I knew but didn't know well enough. I was reminded, what's often said, that while living is hard, dying can often be quite hard as well. Those moments as we move towards death, with the great darkness ahead of us, trusting the promises of God can be frightening and overwhelming. Down through the ages, the Christian church often thought about this and they understood that much of our life was actually preparing us to face the challenge of death. I say this all because I think we see in the passage the way in which God's promise to Paul fulfilled in protection would have led to a deepening of faith in everyone around them. Paul would have seen through experience many times in his life that what Jesus promised he will do. Luke would have seen in such vivid portrayal that even when the storms are hard and the ship is wrecked, God will fulfill his promises and bring us through. There is no greater promise for us to hold on to than the promise of Jesus in which he says, I have prepared a place for you. Those of you here today who have stood by the bed of a loved one who has passed from life into death know what it means to hold the promise. Those of us, all of us, who will one day face our own death, whether sudden and unexpecting or long and drawn out, we'll be able to hold to the promises of Jesus as we face something we've not walked through before. And if Jesus can take you through the storms of life, can't you, in fact, trust him for what lies beyond that? The storms that Jesus is holding on to you now, the places where he shows up in the midst of darkness and difficulty may, in fact, be preparing for you for something far greater. Third and finally, and I think particularly important today, we see that God shows us that He can feed us in the storm now. Not only does God strip away our self-reliance and show us how much we are dependent, not only does God teach us to trust Him and prepare us for great moments of trusting in the future, at the end of our lives, but God shows us He meets us here now. God gave to Paul a fresh reminder, a fresh token of His presence as He Spoke to him in a vision, reminding him, I will care for you. God meets us too in his word. As we come to it again and again, we hear his promises and they can become vivid for us. But God meets us not only in the word, he meets us in the sacraments. On the first Sunday of every month, we gather here and close our worship together by eating this meal, the Lord's table. A reminder that God indeed can prepare a table for us in the presence of our enemies. In verse 35, many scholars see in the words that Luke uses echoes of the way he described communion throughout the book. Now, I'm not convinced that Luke's trying to tell us that Paul had a communion service on the boat. But I want you to listen to the words and hear the echoes and feel the power of the moment. Verse 35 Paul took bread and giving thanks to God in the midst of all, he broke it and began to eat. And it says they were greatly comforted and nourished. Now, the, the real present meaning of it all for this moment in the book is that they needed to eat. If they had been able to snatch a few bites here and there over two weeks, it was not possible to prepare a meal on the stormy sea. But here, anchored right off the edge of the island, Paul says, Eat something, you'll need your strength. You're going to be swimming. The verse says next, they were encouraged. Paul's example before them, eating with them. I would like to think his calm presence, his commitment to the daily practices of life gave them great courage and they were nourished. I'm not convinced this is a communion service on the boat, But I think it works in reverse. It's this picture of eating in the midst of the storm that really informs us of what we do here when we come to this table. The table that Jesus prepares for us in the presence of our enemies. The table that he prepares for us to care for us as he walks with us through the valley of the shadows and the storms of life Jesus promises to feed us. We believe that as we come together to this table, Jesus is present by the power of his spirit. The bread that you take, the cup that you drink, they'll be small. They won't give you much nutritional value. But in them, as we take them by faith, Jesus makes himself known to us. We see here in this very physical and tangible picture of eating and drinking, A reminder of just how close Jesus promises to be with us. Friends, you are not alone. Even though God may be doing the hard work of stripping away your self-reliance, He may be teaching you hard lessons, showing up in the midst of painful circumstances, you are not alone. We come together today to the Lord Jesus, eating at His table. We come together the Lord's table to remind each other you are not alone the Lord is with us let's pray together